Perspective podcast from Pituitary Warlines. Welcome. This is Jorge Fascinetti. Today, Dr. Blevins and Monica discuss her experiences with acromegaly. This is, to say the least, a fascinating discussion between a patient and her doctor. But before we get started, a reminder that if you'd like to get involved and contribute to our effort, all you have to do is go to pituitaryworldnews.org and click on Get Involved. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News, podcasting from San Francisco, California. And I have with me today Monica. So welcome, Monica. Thank you. How do you feel about doing a podcast? I'm excited to do this and help other people. Okay, very good. So Monica's a patient that I've cared for now for almost a year, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So... And her case is particularly interesting to me. I've learned a few things, and it highlights several aspects of uh, acromegaly that I wanted to discuss uh, today. Uh, The first one being, uh, and the the notion I've had for some time, but I think is becoming more clear to me every passing day, is that acromegaly really is a heterogeneous group of disorders. We all know it and recognize it and know that the pituitary tumor is the most common cause, but these tumors are so heterogeneous and different from patient to patient. And some patients have tumors that are far more aggressive than others. And uh, I I think we're entering an era where it's critical to understand the cytogenetics of every tumor and to recognize those patients who either need aggressive treatment up front or need to be followed more closely. And Monica's case certainly illustrates that, and we'll go through it. So um, remind me your original symptoms that led to the suspicion of acromegaly. Um, well, the, f- the thing that brought me in to see the doctor was snoring. Okay. Horrible snoring. I was keeping my husband up all night. and um, But I had, and so that's why I went to the doctor. I had other things that were going on. My blood pressure was, was going up, and I was puffy and sweaty and my feet went up in size, my hands got bigger, swelled up. So a lot of what I would see as some of the classic symptoms and signs, but most primary care physicians probably would miss it, I would think. And uh, one of my pet peeves is that everybody with sleep apnea and snoring probably needs to be tested for acromegaly, but only a small fraction of people are. Uh, So it's one of the things that we as doctors and patients need to do with sleep centers is to convey that message that, hey, screen for acromegaly in this particular person. And then just to sort of fast forward a bit, uh, when you were ultimately tested, your IGF-1 was 438, which isn't terribly elevated. Uh, so it looks sort of mild to moderate at that time. And your growth hormone after glucose that I, when I went through your chart, I saw was 4.5, which is certainly diagnostic because most people would go under one or under 0.4, depending on what cutoff you use. And then you had an MRI that showed a reasonably sized pituitary adenoma in the left pituitary that grew into the left cavernous sinus uh, at that time. How did it feel to get that news and to find out that you had a tumor and it was causing this clinical syndrome? It was really scary. Um, And the way it was relayed to me was even worse. Oh, no. Tell (laughs) me about that. um, I was seeing another, it was another doctor that I had gone to. um, Mm -hmm finally found you. (laughs) Thank God. Um, But um, they just called me up and said, oh, uh, 
they, they actually, after I went in to see the ENT about my snoring, then she decided to do a CAT scan, and that's when she saw the tumor. Um, she and I guess a lab, mm-hmm. you know, whoever reads the x-rays. And then they just called me at work and said, oh, you've got a tumor. I'm like, where? And she said, well, it's in, on your pituitary gland. I'm like, where's that? She said, it's in your head. And I was by myself in, wow. at my work office, and it was like, it was horrifying. That would be devastating yeah. for, for anybody. Yeah. So from from the outset, it looks like sort of a run-of-the-mill case of acromegaly. I was a bit surprised at the size of your tumor, uh, that your IGF-1 level wasn't higher. And I think that's maybe the first clue that something was different about your acromegaly. Uh, we then uh, had you see Dr. Kunwar, and he operated in November of 2018, and he reported in his operative report that he thought he had all your tumor out. Uh, right. He described what he said, a gross total resection, and when I read his operative report, it appeared that he literally was able to dissect your tumor out of the cavernous sinus. And then I looked at your post-operative MRI, and it looked pretty clean to me, but I think retrospectively there probably was something in the cavernous sinus still, but was very small. Um, but it was very interesting to me because your post-operative IGF level, level IGF one level was 116, and your growth hormone was 0.6. So by all intents and by all the criteria and the guidelines, you were cured of your acromegaly as a result of that. And my first thought was that if that is residual tumor, it lost its blood supply had its blood supply amputated, if you will, when the rest of the tumor came out, and therefore probably that was going to die off and that you were going to be in remission with a successful surgical procedure. So that was good news Yeah. at the time. Of course, your pathology confirmed that you had a growth hormone secreting pituitary adenoma. We do special studies at UCSF that I wish people would do elsewhere. Uh, one of them is a KI-67 which tells us the percentage of cells that are actively dividing, have divided, or going to divide, and your level was 1%, which is really good, meaning 99% of the cells were resting. And then we also found that your tumor was PIT1 positive. And PIT1 is a transcription factor that plays a role in the development of the growth hormone cells, the prolactin cells, and the TSH cells. Uh, And uh, we detected that in your tumor. This is something that we've been doing relatively recently at UCSF. And that was curious to me to see that positivity. Uh, And it turns out that that was a clue to things to come. Uh, And, uh, but at any rate, it looked to me like you were cured of your disease. And did your symptoms get better? Did the snoring stop? Yes. Okay. After the first surgery, I felt great. Okay, so you felt really good. And then over time, we checked your growth hormone levels, and in January, uh, that would be, what, two to three months after surgery, it was 1.5. In uh, April, it was 1.1. Still reasonably good numbers, above the cutoff of one that we like to see, but sometimes normal people have high growth hormone levels or growth hormone levels that are normal uh, because we secrete growth hormone in a pulsatile fashion, and you can see levels up to eight, and they'd be normal. Uh, So we paired that with your IGF-1 levels, and they were 252 in January and 304 in April, both normal in the normal range. Uh, And uh, most people would say, according to the guidelines, that you're in remission with these type of numbers. But you had related something to me, and uh, I was concerned about that. And tell me what symptoms you were having that that, uh, developed my suspicion about those numbers. I just started feeling joint pain again, a lot of joint pain, and my blood pressure had gone up. 
Um, and my, my feet and my hands were, were, were swelling up again. And the snoring. Okay, so snoring, the snoring had come snoring back. Snoring was back. So, so it's a classic example of normal levels, but a return of symptoms. And I know there are a lot of people out there uh, who may be listening in who have the very same thing normal levels but active symptoms and to me that's always a suspicion that even though the levels are normal they're not normal for you and that these represent tumoral growth hormone levels and tumor derived IGF-1 production Uh, so I felt like we needed to put you in an MRI scanner and do you remember what we told you when uh, when we got those results that you were very surprised at what you saw that it was growing back yeah, I was, I was surprised because your tumor obviously had a very quick doubling rate and it, it was, parts of it were back to original size, almost as if parts of it hadn't been operated on. And certainly most of what we saw was in the cavernous sinus. It didn't sort of come back as much in the pituitary area, but mostly in the cavernous sinus. I was shocked, but I was glad that we paired my suspicion about your results, even though by all criteria they were considered in remission along with your symptoms. And when I was uh, starting medical school, one of the first things we learned is that if you listen to them, the patient will tell you what's wrong. And we listened to your symptoms and you were telling us your acromegaly was back. And certainly it was, despite the fact that your levels were normal. Um, so you underwent repeat surgery and that was performed? I had that on September 3rd. September 3rd. And um, we were surprised at the pathology. Uh, Dr. Kunwar again thinks he got a good resection, but I don't think he got all the tumor this time because some of it had increased in an area where he couldn't get to. Uh, But um, your pathology was very interesting. Now your tumor stains for growth hormone, but also TSH and prolactin. The PIT1 is positive as well. And this is not unusual with the PIT1 tumors is that this transcription factor can turn on the development of other hormones by a tumor. So that whereas you were negative for prolactin and TSH before, your tumor entered this growth phase and now has caused some of the cells to acquire the ability to produce prolactin and TSH. So that's very curious to me that that happened. The other thing that's very interesting is the KI-67 went from 1% to 6%. And that means that 6% of the cells in your tumor are actively dividing. By the way, the normal pituitary is 0.5%. Most pituitary tumors are between 0.5 and 2%. We see tumors that are 3 or 4% all the time at an institution like this. But your tumor had transformed and entered a growth phase after the first surgery, uh, and more cells were actively dividing, and it had acquired the ability to produce other hormones as well. And that's typical for some of these PIT1 tumors, for them to be able to produce hormones other than growth hormone. Uh, And it really, as we were talking before, uh, makes your tumor rather unique and interesting. Um, When we do the math, uh, if you look at the fact that 0.9% of all pituitary tumors express PIT1, and that of all the PIT1 tumors, most of them are clinically silent with no acromegaly or prolactin excess or anything like that, only about a quarter of them produce acromegaly. So your tumor your situation represents about 0.17 to 0.2% of all pituitary adenomas. So it's a very rare situation uh, and uh, something that I think I might have seen maybe once or twice before, but extremely unusual. And uh, I think that the PIT1 situation really is the first clue to the fact that your tumor had this ability 
to be aggressive and to grow back more quickly. We refer to these as tumors that are more de-differentiated or less well-differentiated and more aggressive. Uh, and it sort of points to the fact that these tumors can be more aggressive and that acromegaly is a group of disorders, one of them being this PIT1 type of a tumor that can be plurihormonal producing multiple tumors and has a propensity to grow back sooner rather than later. What are your thoughts about that? What, how does that uh, resonate with you? Well, like I expressed to you, you never want to be the unique person with a unique medical situation. Um, it makes me scared for the future. I'm just, you know, how many times can this thing grow back? And I just want it eradicated. And um, I guess I have questions around prolactin and these other things now mm -hmm. that you're mentioning. Yeah, well, we will certainly be very aggressive with it. Probably you're looking at gamma knife radiotherapy after we see this post-operative MRI. Uh, the TSH and the prolactin are probably not going to be issues for you because okay. I think they're going to be silent. Okay. Um, and it was a small proportion of tumors, but you have the potential to develop TSH overproduction. We're going to not let that happen. If it does, we're going to be able to treat it. Or prolactin overproduction, if that happens, we're going to be able to treat that pretty straightforwardly as well. Yeah. Uh, but it is a unique feature of your type of tumor where this, these things are all possible and explained. We used to know that a certain proportion of patients with acromegaly also produce prolactin, and I think that if we could go back and study all those tumors, we would find some of those were PIT1 tumors as well. I've seen patients who have tumors that produce growth hormone and TSH, and I think if we studied them, we would find their PIT1 tumors also. So these things are maybe more common than what we expect. The 0.9% comes from a very large pathology group who uh, found that to be the rate. I think that the, the, the one message that we want to convey here is that uh, people with acromegaly should be getting all of these cytogenetic studies on their pituitary tumors. They should be immunostained for all the pituitary tumors, or any pituitary tumor, not just acromegaly. It's immunostained for all the pituitary tumors. You should know the MIB-1 labeling index, maybe the P53 index, which we used to do but don't do as much anymore. Uh, you should also know the PIT-1 uh, uh, information about your tumor. And treating physicians need to be aware of how these tumors behave and how to incorporate treatment initially, but also long-term follow-up. And, and I think that your case highlights the fact that an index of suspicion is critical uh, when you start to see things that uh, uh, could represent early progression of a, of a or return of a disease. Um, do you have any particular questions or anything you want to say to the to the group? Well, I just think it's it's very important for doctors to listen to their patients. I mean, really listen, like you said, and it's also important for patients to advocate for themselves. If they're not feeling right, and that they need to speak up about it, but it would be great if there was, I guess you're setting this now, um, where doctors and patients can actually look to maybe a higher level of, um, I guess, the criteria to ensure that this type of thing is at least caught early on. Yeah, very well said. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you spending some time with me today to do this particular podcast. And uh, I'm sure some of you will have questions. So uh, either myself or Monica, she's on the Acromegaly support groups on Facebook. Uh, and I'm sure she'd be happy to communicate with you if you had any particular questions uh, as you've listened to this podcast. 
So, Monica, thank you again for coming by today to do this podcast. And uh, thank all of you for listening to us. And uh, once again, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Have a great rest of your day. One final thing that I want to say, and this note is added after the podcast was concluded, uh, and I took a listen to some of the information that we presented, is that to be more specific, I think that the PIT1 transcription factor expression in pituitary adenomas is something that probably is a marker or an indicator of dedifferentiation or aggressiveness. It turns out that this hormone, even though it's expressed in such a very small percentage of poorly functioning or, or silent growth hormone secreting tumors, probably is expressed in more growth hormone secreting tumors than I had previously been led to believe, maybe in in a majority, but I feel that based on our observations uh, pertaining to Monica's case and other patients and also reviewing the literature from the silent adenomas, that the varying levels of expression of this transcription factor in pituitary adenomas is something that probably does portend to or correlate with uh, the aggressiveness that can be seen with these particular tumor subtypes. I think more research is needed to understand this more fully, uh, but I can't help but think that in this particular case and in other cases I've read about, especially the silent uh, or poorly functioning growth hormone secreting tumors, that the uh, expression of this peptide, uh, since it is a transcription factor and involved in cell differentiation and growth probably plays a role in tumor behavior. You have been listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Thank you for listening.